The Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and free cats, and the future of cybernetic warfare. Plus, we continue our ongoing audiobook serialization of John Ringo's Live Free or Die, all right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour. It is a pleasure to have you along. I am Bain Associate Editor and your podcast host, David F. Shirod. This week, we bring you part two of Josh Hayes' interview with David Weber, Timothy Zahn, and Thomas Pope about the latest entry in the Manticore Ascendant series, A Call to Insurrection. But first, the news. A new batch of EARCs is in. Let's take a look. Here in a moment, we'll hear about Travis Long's adventures in the Honorverse. But now let's go back in time to discover what happened long before Travis Long or Honor Harrington made an appearance on the scene. Our first e-arc is for the newest installment in the Honorverse prequel Star Kingdom series, featuring Honor ancestor Stephanie Harrington as a young woman on Manticore. Let's take a look at a new clan. Freshly home from an internship on Manticore, teenage Stephanie Harrington is up to her eyebrows in trouble. There's the new tree cat adoptee who needs to be kept from becoming a risk to the carefully guarded secret of just how smart the arboreal inhabitants of Sphinx really are. There's the overeager journalist whose campaign to protect the tree cats from exploitation as the newest, coolest pet on any planet could threaten the very creatures he seeks to defend. And there's the mysterious rash of weird accidents that are plaguing Sphinx younger inhabitants, including some of those nearest and dearest to Stephanie. Also available now is Robo Soldiers. Thank you for your servos. This is an all new anthology featuring stories of robot, AI and cyborg soldiers written primarily by military veterans. Robo-soldiers, they take many forms, from disembodied AI to human-like androids and more, but at their cores beat the cybernetic hearts of warriors. In these stories of hard military SF, you will journey to the battlefields of tomorrow with the veterans who have been there and the researchers developing the next phase of battle and get a glimpse into the future of warfare. New stories from David Drake, Richard Fox, Weston Oaks, Martin L. Shoemaker, T.C. McCarthy, Brad R. Torgerson, and more. That's A New Clan by David Weber and Jane Linskold and Robo Soldiers. Thank you for your servos. Edited by Stephen Lawson. Larry Korea is probably best known for his Monster Hunter International series, but the action-packed tales of Owen Pitt and crew are but one facet of his far-ranging talent. To celebrate the release of Korea's newest novel, Servants of War, with Steve Diamond, we're offering discounts on all of his non-MHI backlist, including the Grim Noir Chronicles, the Saga of the Forgotten Warrior, and more. Sale ends March 31st at midnight, and this discount is available wherever Bain ebooks are sold. And that's it for the news.
Yeah. It sounds like uh, all three of you kind of had uh, an equal share in all of the writing, but was there, when it, is there a, a particular character that, that either of you prefer writing first as it were, and then well, it gets. Actually, actually, Tim has carried a lot more of the burden of actually writing these books than than Tom or me. Okay, we've spent more time saying, Tim, you can't do that. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've written probably 300,000 words about this book. Um, but you know, only a few dozen are in the book. Um, I, you know, I, I really, because I mean, I, I write, I write background, you know, it's like, here's, here's everything about Sorgon Frey Palace. And I'll, you know, here's maps, here's where things are. And, you know, I said, so, you know, it's like set direction in some ways, or, you know, or production design. Um, and, and certainly lots of comments about, you know, this isn't going to work, or I think we should maybe try this or, you know, or and the structure, here's the history. Like here's the beats. Like we we knew part of what happened with Sarasburg had to happen because of these things that I you know sort of assembled together from other statements elsewhere and sort of built into the timeline. But I don't do a lot of the prose. I do in fact almost none of the prose. Okay. And I would I would say that I can't think of any place in in these books where. I had an issue with what Tim had written that was character-based, okay? It was more often that because he was not as intimately familiar with, uh, with honorverse physics as, mm. as Tom and I were, that you couldn't, you, we couldn't get people from where they were to where they needed to be in the time frame that his original concept had them getting there. So we had to reschedule or send them somewhere else or, or something like that. There were only a handful of places that I can think of where I had an issue with how a character was viewing uh, events uh, or, or something like that. And it's rare to do this many books covering this much time and not have more of that crop up uh, than, than what... Uh, than what Tim and I had. Um, well, the I think the to, to Thomas's point about keeping track of everything, I, I think you've done a, a really fantastic job with that. I mean, just following along with. I mean, you're right. There's a lot of time that passes in this book. I mean, even in you know book one, he joins and he goes to basic, and then months pass, and 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 by the time we get to book four, a couple of years have gone by, and 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 we're 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 keeping track of events that are on a, a grand time scale that normally get he's, like he's what in his late 30s early 40s by the end of this book Tom Tim yeah. do you remember uh I'd have to look it up yeah but I mean right. he's 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 probably years though yeah yeah he's probably uh past the midpoint of his career yeah easily by now um one of the problems yes. that we had as the character began developing and doing stuff is where is he in the in the honor novels okay and there's actually i'd all i'd always assumed that there was a travis character in there somewhere before he came along who predated edward saganami okay mm. Right. Um, and Saganami is such a punctuation point that he kind of tends to 
to hide the, the high, people who came before him hide in shadows. Kind of like a, most Americans, if you mention the name John Paul Jones to them, would go, "Ah, Revolutionary War uh, captain." Okay, uh, but if you mentioned um, Truxton to them. Uh, right. Truxton was in many ways the father of the USN professional officer corps in the period between the American Revolution and the War of 1812. But he didn't serve during the War of 1812 itself. And so he's he's kind of lost in the shadows of people like Preble and, and later heroes of the U.S. Navy. That's Travis in a lot of ways. Travis is building the modern Manticoran Navy. He's not alone doing that it's like what's this i can't remember the captain's name the one who who they you know she's like she hates me she hates me and she's writing this glowing you know appreciation of him at the <laughs> end of the you know he's saying he thinks yeah. locatelli hates him still you know locatelli is like no no he, right. you know this was this was this was a travis recommendation we need to go with it and he's like oh my god locatelli's gonna kill me for this you know kind of thing it's yeah. just one of the things that's so adorable about him is he's and, like and would set this up as a lot of the politics swirling around him that, no, we don't want dealing with him because of thus and so as part of the reason his name has been forgotten. Yeah. Right. There are too many allies now who recognize, yes, he's a good person to have around. Yeah. They can't entirely do that. And so you've been slipping things in like the Kaiser's gift and things of that yeah. sort. Yeah. Well, and eventually I'm going to, I want to do the, the, uh, a novel which would be Alfred Harrington's Marine Service before he becomes a Navy doctor. Uh, and uh, I would be touching on some of the Travis background in it. And also the fact that there's a Travis Long Hall uh, at Saganami Island. I'm, I'm, you know, I want to get Honor back in a lecture mode and have, have her giving a lecture and say, who can tell us you know who who Travis who Travis Long Hall is named after? Everybody kind of goes, uh, you know. <laughs> kind of well, at one point you were going to name an Andermani warship for him. Oh, too. I'm still going to do that at well, some okay. point. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and people. Well, it's always it's interesting reading through the books. Think like watching for names that i know from the original series like just watching to see if things pop up or events that i that i have been referenced in the main series to see if i remember or see if they actually you know because a lot of times events happen differently than people talk about them and so i've been i've been really keeping an eye out to see if you know, if, if this event is different in real life than it was purported in the main series. Well, and, and Hamish Alexander's incompetent ancestor. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked inserting her. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's the the collection of characters that you've created is is um, just. One of the great things that I love about the Honorverse is the stable characters, like uh, Foraker in the in the main series, and Theismann, and Honor, and Hamish, and all those people. But now we have an entirely new group of characters, and it's fun to read. Uh, you know, one of the, the hazards of doing prequels is, especially if you're doing prequels with known characters, you know that they can't die. Uh, because they're in the other books and here you don't have that safety net while you're reading the books and 
uh, that's one of the interesting things I love about this series is is seeing where it's going, knowing the endpoint, but seeing how we get there. Yeah, you, know, you don't any know any of the characters' endpoints. You just know where Manic. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. there and there are elements in the the uh, later novels, the, the, the earlier novels that these are the prequels to. You know, um, <laughs> the, like you know, the Phantom Menace. I, you know, it's kind of like I don't know, but um, the um, there are elements in how that backstory works out. Huge right. swaths of elements that have never been laid out uh, in the existing novels, and that's being done in both the Manticore Ascendant and the Star Kingdom uh, books. Uh, is to lay some of that out. Now, what we're dealing with here is Travis is really too early by a few decades to be involved in, to be deeply involved in the forging of the post-wormhole events. Mm. Okay. Um, and exactly how we deal with him and that that period of Manticore's history uh, is still something that we're we're kind of noodling around. Um, but by that time, hopefully, uh, we will have uh, little Travis and little Lisa uh, running around. <laughs> um, and I, if we can keep them both at the same place long enough, I mean, yeah. Uh, but I would like to do uh, a few novels that are set at that later uh, period. We would probably have to let Tim be free, you know, to go away, you know. Kind of uh, but uh, I'd like to do uh, maybe two, three books uh, that would be focused on the creation, for example, of the initial treaty between Beowulf and, and Manticore uh, mm. uh, which kind of lays the foundation for how Manticore is going to relate to other termini uh, of the junction and whatnot. Um, and still have them on really good terms with Haven while they're doing all of this. Um, and to be honest, in a lot of ways, despite the, the terminus that's close to the Andermani, it's the, ex it's the existence of the junction that takes Manticore away from the relationship with the Andermani in many ways, yeah. because their interests are so widely separated in space and time. Okay. And that's a little bit of a factor with Haven, because even though Trevor Star is in the People's Republic of Haven, it was not part of the Republic of Haven uh, until it was overthrown when Roger Winton was, was uh, the king of Manticore. Um, so the books would help to explain and illuminate that shift and where Manticore's attention is and, and really has to be focused. Well, it's interesting seeing the development of the, the political aspect of the people that are just uh, wanting to deal with their own thing. They're isolationists almost where they, they, they don't want to deal with anybody else. They want to just focus on what they're doing and, and, uh, the the interesting thing is being so close to the uh, start of the kingdom. A lot of those, you know, original colonists and the original people that were in the company or the corporation, the LLC, um, 
you know, they didn't start it up to become a uh, uh, intergalactic power. So well, they seemed, never expected yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, and it was it, when we were talking. Um, it wasn't the, so much this book, but the the book before. And there was this big discussion about like we need a constitutional scholar, and we had this you know back and forth, and we realized, wait a minute, most of the people who wrote the darn thing are still alive. Like right. it's not a constitutional scholar. It's like, hey, Dad, what did you mean? Like, what, what were yeah. you talking about? <laughs> we, we got this. We got this argument here over how it comes. Well, I think one of the one of the things for me about the isolationist element in in Manticore is the fact that even though I would have disagreed with them as a character in the in the the universe while it was happening their position is totally rational okay we've just survived the plague we're rebuilding you know we don't need all this crap out here you know etc 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 i mean you know i mean you've got the villain in many ways in the first book domestically yeah, he's playing for his personal advantage and and everything else, but he's not necessarily wrong well, until they, they find they, out somebody wants to kill them all. Well, take take the worm. If the wormhole didn't exist, he might not be wrong. Yeah, if the wormhole didn't exist, he would be. He wouldn't be wrong from yeah. his point of view and from all the knowledge he has at the time. Yes, he is yeah. right. That was one of the challenges, and one of the nice things about building this up that we've got opponents but not necessarily villains Mm. Uh, and everybody is seeing things things from their own point of view and from that point of view with all available data yeah they're quite reasonable we also have to remember that even without wormholes hyperspace travel is a lot slower in this era than it would be in honors time we're not able to get to the upper levels so the isolationism is almost forced upon them by the fact everything is so darn far away. Yeah. And, and for that matter, at this point, the Solarian League is only, what, 100 years old? Um, it's more than that. It, yeah, it's more than that, but it's not. Um, it's, it's young and still figuring things out and much, yeah. much, much smaller. Well, and what it also is at this point is it hasn't yet become the bureaucratic monolith that it becomes by honor's time. Right. Um, And that's one of the things that I tried to establish when honor was dealing with this later on, which is that the founders of the of the Solarian League never intended it for it to become what it became. And that, in fact, part of what it became was the result of their trying to prevent it from becoming that when they well, you, you show a little bit of glimpse of that in the beginning of this book where they're talking about the getting the fleets organized for the uh, the mercenary fleets from mm-hmm. the yeah well but i was what i was going to say is that when the solarian league was set up they deliberately set up to limit the size of the central government in order to protect the sovereignty of the individual star systems. And that's why it was not allowed the power of direct taxation. But that was also why the government, in order to do its job, had to find workarounds. And it found workarounds. And eventually the workarounds subverted the purpose of the original restriction 
and because mm -hmm. there was no check balance system set up to prevent it from happening there was no adjusting mechanism and that's how the mandarins came into existence okay it's kind of like the people's republic of haven didn't set out to become an evil conquering monarch right. and right. i've tried to do that in in pretty much all facets of of the honorverse it's not a case of somebody deciding to wake up one day and become the omniveracity of evil okay uh, you know kind of thing yeah I mean, I, haven haven at this point really didn't even they're the commonwealth but that's because people asked to join them they yes, were expanding yeah. it exactly. was just haven and then there you know they had neighbors who said hey you know can we can, can we get can we sign up <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and it and it was a, it was a heck of a good deal for everybody involved at the time uh, and of course, of course, you have to have a political advisor to, you know, make sure you don't run afoul of something else. We get, I think, one of those in uh, one of these books as well. There, there, it's not a the, the uh, uh, Soviet-style uh, person. Just I'm here to, you know, keep advising you on on uh, the politics of what your military people are doing. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's been fun. Uh, to work on these uh, and I think they have served from a storytelling perspective they have served a very important function structurally um, in the honorverse um, it's good when books can both do that and be thumping good stories on their own yeah uh, and I think that that has been accomplished here um, And I think that one of the advantages from the perspective of these books is that even though we are setting, planting the seeds for the later Star Kingdom and so forth, none of the characters in these books are going to have the galactic stature that Honor Harrington or Tom Weisman right. has later right. on. And because of that, in some ways, I think they are characters that you can empathize with almost more than you can with Honor. Honor is a character who I think people love and they admire and they would like to be like her. But especially in the later books, when she has been forced up by circumstances into becoming the great noble woman and everything else, she loses some of that common touch that she had when she was Commander Harrington, who didn't really understand politics, but was going to do her job anyway. Okay, It was inevitable because of her role in shaping the history and the way that she had to grow as an individual in order to do what she needed to do okay travis is in a position to do that growing to do what he needs to do but because he's they're not going to be putting up 40-foot statues in front of <laughs> grayson steadholder's right. conclave to him you know down the road and whatnot he he can remain that character who you know and you love and you can see yourself in 100%. Yeah. And I think that is that is a tremendous gift to the series uh, is to have him and Chomps. But I think even more Travis. 
I think he really is. I think of the Honor Harrington books as being the story of a period in galactic history with honor as the lens through which we see it. Okay. I think of the Manticoran uh, Ascendant novels as being about Travis. Oh, yeah, for sure. But doing this stuff in the background, okay? From our perspective as architects of the Honorverse, yes, they're doing just as important stuff as Honor did. But from the scale, the scope of what's happening, the characters can stay human-sized, well, and he's still part dealing. Of, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, part of that is that at some point in Honor's life, she will she she realizes everything I say, everything I do, is going to be important. It's going to have ripples. Travis will never recognize that or understand that because yeah, he doesn't right. see yeah. the ripples. They're too far away or too far ahead. He will never realize the, the 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 real impact he's making. Okay, I helped save some people. I helped uh, get this battle with minimal casualties, but he will not see himself, and no one will really see him as the galaxy type, the forty foot statue type of person that honor is stuck with being, and probably doesn't really like it on some level. Oh, she doesn't. She doesn't. Right. On a lot of levels, uh, but. I am planning at some point in a short story or, or something to have somebody sit down with a really, really old Travis, okay, <laughs> or possibly with Lisa and do a Delin mm -hmm. examination of Sheridan's life yeah. for Travis. Okay, he made a difference. This is why. This is what he did. And he was such a good man. Okay, I really, really want to do that somewhere. Um, whether we get it done in one of these novels or I do it in a short story down the road somewhere. Okay, that conversation, I think, is one that has to happen at some point in the honor verse. Um, because, frankly, well, I Travis deserves it. Well, what I, what also I like about Travis is that he's, he's, you know, honor sometimes is looked at kind of like Superwoman in the series, and and Travis in, in his own right is is uh, an everyman, but he's got he's got faults that are interesting faults, like uh, you know the 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 always by the book type thing that he does, um, and and in some places they can be stumbling blocks and and they frustrate other characters oh boy he, he's you know and he's always trying to to do the best that he can and sometimes those things work out worse for him than others but he's always kind of steadfast in that and and you could look at that as a as a uh, as a really good uh character trait or a fault depending on how you're you're dealing with him as a person at that particular time well and we did literally hand him the book on on you know <laughs> at, yeah. the of, at the end of the book so now we can take yeah. that back home and <laughs> i i think that i think part of it is that when honor makes mistakes the reader almost always agrees with the choice that she made, even if it's the wrong one. 
and so they don't recognize them as mistakes. Mm. I keep telling people, you know, in honor of the queen, she shoots a prisoner without a trial. She misses because somebody shoved her arm, but she's literally, if Scotty Tremaine had not shoved her arm aside, she would have shot a prisoner without a trial. But the yeah. problem is that the reader is, oh, you go, girl, he deserves it. Right. And they're not looking at the fact that she's violating uh, interstellar law. She's violating her oath as an officer. She's lost it. Yeah. Okay. They understand why she's lost it and they agree with her. And yes. therefore, it's not seen as a mistake or a character flaw. Uh, in Travis's case, the reader can be going, Travis, what are you thinking? You know, right. But the thing is, they understand why he's thinking it, even when yep. they're like, no, Travis, don't go there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so how, where do you, how far do you see this series going on? I think we're looking at total of six books, I think. So yeah. two more. Yeah. The yeah. Plan. yeah. That's, that's the plan. Um, and to be honest <clears throat> with my schedule and little things like concussions and things like that there, which you've got to stop doing. I know yeah. I'm working on it. Okay. We're not yeah. recommended for repeated well, think, usage. Okay. Concussion and COVID. I've decided those are both things that everybody should do once. Okay. And once you're done with them, you don't go back and do them again. You know, you got you got that checked off your bucket list. You know, you go do other things. Um, but when you look at that and you look at my schedule, okay, it's been a real problem for Tom and for Tim to get these books done in anything like a timely framework for them, um, which I totally, totally understand and feel unspeakably guilty about. But I won't stop doing it because that's the way it's like Travis. It's the way I, <laughs> the way I do things. You know? uh, but we do need, um, we do need to get the story arc that we plan wrapped. Okay. And we need to do it in a way that will work for, for, especially for Tim's schedule. Okay. Um, and I think too, that's what we contracted for. That's what it looks like doing. Um, and I may go ahead and do some solo work off the back end of the arc. I may not, too, uh, because I've got so many irons in the fire right now. Sure. Um, and what, I, what we're looking at is an arc that will end and end, even though there will be you know, like an open door that you can go through if you want to. Okay. Way back when... Jim Bain, the, with the origin of the Honor Harrington series in the first place, was Jim Bain telling me one day, David, every single damn story you write spawns sequels. So why don't you just plan on doing a series from the get-go? Yeah. Because for me, as a storyteller, okay, when I get to the end of the story, I'm aware of all of the strands that were still going forward, all of the things that were still happening. And it's like, okay, what happens next? Okay. At the end of this story arc, we're going to be in that what happens next situation. But we're going to be there in a way, I hope and believe, that will let us say, and I'll tell you that story another day, maybe, without right. the reader feeling dissatisfied or shortchanged right. that we didn't complete what we were doing. This chapter is finished. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
era is complete. The yeah. world goes on, but this story is ended. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and one of the ways to do that might be to actually end it with Travis's death. In, in like an epilogue that happens 20 years after the events in the last book or whatever. And that could be the point where I get to do the Delin deconstruction of Sheridan. Uh, I would prefer that he goes off to uh, Sussex and becomes a beekeeper. Can we do that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no vineyards in France, though, man. I got to tell you that right now, you know. Uh, well, gentlemen, thank you guys so much for for coming on and and sharing your thoughts and talking about uh, the book. It was fantastic, um, and I, I can't wait to read the the next ones in the series. We can't wait to write it. <laughs> Actually, that that that's in progress right now. Um, uh, we've just finished kicking around the um, the uh, Bible for 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 this book. Um, and I think it's going to be fun. Um, I think the next stage, we've got the outline pretty well tied down. I think the next stage is to figure out which part each of us writes. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's, that's something when you get around to it, uh, you know, because <laughs> uh, I, I will be ready to write very, start it very soon or start my parts. Yep. Once I know which ones are mine. Okay. Well, I think uh, actually, I think that uh, the the answer to that is going to be most of it. Um, <laughs> there, well, there uh, space battles and yeah. confrontations that I assume yeah, will be yep. yours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that that part. Yeah. Uh, but um, most of these characters are. A lot more yours than mine. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think you know you're right. We need to we need to sit down and and actually delineate. Yeah, that's but, the next step for the outline. Yeah. just to, to start putting yeah. name names on chunks and then yeah. to start yeah, yeah. building We've through the background. Pretty well, but we just need yeah. To. It'll yep. be like David, go to your room and stay there. We'll tell you when you get. <laughs> if if I were working with me, I'd say that to me a lot. I mean, you know, I just uh, well, that's why you have Sharon to, to keep you on the straight and narrow. But your room is on the second floor, right? And there are stairs between and this yeah. way. Yeah. Well, okay. Listen, uh, Tom and Tim are both, uh, you know, horribly familiar with the ooh shiny moment yeah. uh, <laughs> that happens when you start talking to me uh, and and. It's back in my youth when I had more energy. I could run off in 17 directions at once and still get where <laughs> I was going. These days, it's more like, oh, my God, he just had another thought, you know. <laughs> um, well, uh, again, thank you, gentlemen, for coming on and talking with me. Uh, the The book is out now. It came out, what, a, just a couple of days ago. Uh, yep. 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 I got my author's copies like two weekends ago, I think. Very nice. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for uh, listening. By the way, I would also like to say that I think this may very well be my favorite cover from the series to date. I've liked all of them, but I really like this, this cover because one of the things that it does is it really brings home the difference 
between the the technology in terms of the ship design and so forth uh, from uh, from Honor's time. Yeah, I enjoyed I've, working uh, with this artist a lot. He's he's great. I've got the uh, since you mentioned it. I've got the uh, the cover right there. Ta-da! Yeah, it's beautiful. I love the artwork. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. Yep, yep, yep. So, all right. Well, we'll end it there. Uh, viewers and listeners, thank you for uh, hanging out with us today while we talk about the uh, a call to insurrection. And if you haven't picked it up yet, definitely go to it. It's worth the, the read. That was Josh Hayes talking to David Weber, Timothy Zahn, and Thomas Pope. And now another installment in John Ringo's Live Free or die. And here we have the air mixing chamber, the Admiral said, opening up the inner hatch. All of Troy didn't yet have lifts or grav walks. The walk from the shuttle bays to the air recycling system had been nearly a mile. Tyler hadn't walked that far in years. And then there were the stairs. The air mixing chamber, because it was slightly overpressured, had an airlock system to enter, sort of. There were two hatches to get through, but it wasn't a full airlock, more like a slightly more secure version of the sort of doors you found on big stadiums. Beyond the door was a small patio with a waist-high railing. The whole thing was cut from solid nickel iron, and Tyler could see some actual bobbles from the lasers. But overall, it was pretty solid. Good enough for government work. Beyond the railing was the main mixing chamber, which was a 500-meter-high, 200-meter-diameter cylinder with more patios every six stories or so, stretching up from the base to the top. The Admiral had trekked to a platform about midway, and the view was more than spectacular. The gravity was also a bit low. While the platform had its own grav plates, the main chamber was under one-sixth gravity. You had to be careful not to hop over the railing. You'd definitely die from the fall. It was also, unsurprisingly, windy. The air shot upwards and ruffled Tyler's beard. Very nice view, Tyler said. Yes, it is, the Admiral said. Also, I might add, very interesting design. Some of the civilian contractors. Ah, a demonstration. A man was flying up the chamber, wearing a squirrel suit with textile wings spreading from ankle to wrist. As Tyler watched, he banked around in an arc and then up and back and around. Your point, Admiral? Tyler asked. I mean, if he works for me, I can probably circulate a memo. Don't tell me you didn't design it this way, the Admiral said. It's made for flying. Okay, Tyler said. I won't or that the outlet system is designed so that nobody can get stuck on it. There have been accidents, the admiral said. Several. One man died. 
and their contracts stipulate that any injuries suffered during recreational periods are not covered by workman's comp, Tyler said. We paid off the life insurance on the death, and we're covering the major medical on the accidents. As we've paid off on the 53 people killed in the making of Troy and the literally thousands of major to minor injuries. Space is a very dangerous place, but people are going to find crazy stuff to do, Admiral. The makeup of the people who volunteer for space jobs leans heavily to the slightly insane, or at least adrenaline junkies. Making a place for them to get their stupid out was a way to keep them from, oh, seeing how long they could breathe vacuum. That is a point, the Admiral said thoughtfully. What I'm worried about is the first complete moron to try to dive in the water recycler, Tyler said. It's just as big and would be much worse than space since water absorbs light. We're not real sure about the physics, but there's not going to be much spatial orientation since it's a micrograv environment and water, the bubbles from scuba, aren't going to go up. There's going to be zero, absolutely zero spatial orientation as soon as you get far enough away from the walls, which you'll do quick to see them. At which point anyone trying it is going to be lost in a void. I think we might have to put a ban on scuba gear, the admiral said. Their suits are scuba gear, Tyler said, gesturing outward. This was intended to, at least for a while, keep these overzealous idiots from trying it. Eventually, someone will. I just hope he brings a safety line, or she. I've noticed the prevalence of she's, the admiral said, heading back to the door. If Troy and the Sapple can't hold the soul system, Troy won't survive, Tyler said. Eventually they can starve you out or you'll run out of fuel. But if the Horvath or, God help us, the Rangora hit Earth so hard it's essentially destroyed, as long as Troy can keep fed and we're getting ready to put in a big hydroponic section, humanity will survive, Admiral. Civilization will survive. So, yeah... We've used the Equal Opportunity Program to get as many females on board as possible. The civilian side is going to have schools, including colleges and even a research university. We're going to try to get artists and sculptors, singers, entertainers, comedians, when we get enough room. Battle Station and Ark, the Admiral said. I had wondered. Don't sweat it, Tyler said. You've got enough to worry about with getting the station up and running. But yeah, it's an arc. Let's hope we don't need it to fulfill its secondary function. The Admiral hadn't mentioned steak and lobster. Tyler was polite enough to return the favor and not mention that as a resident of New Hampshire, he knew the difference between good steak and lobster and the sort Yankee traders sold to the U.S. military. This is great. Tyler said, tucking in. And just a little weird, Commodore Pounder said. I was a lieutenant commander when you sold your first load of maple syrup to the Glatun. Thirteen years later, we're eating lobster on, face it, the Death Star. So that raises a question, Captain Sharp said. The tactical officer looked up and tilted his head to the side. 
No press present, and we've all got security clearances. How long were you planning Troy? <laughs> Tyler said, setting down his fork and wiping his mouth. Since I was about nine? If you mean seriously planning it, since the Horvath came through the gate. I never in a million years thought I'd be able to do it, mind you. And I didn't. A lot of much smarter people built this. Still a very long way to go, Colonel Helberg said, carefully cutting his lobster. Ripping it apart was clearly a barbarian American custom. Combining getting the military side up and running with the ongoing construction has been an interesting chess game. Infrastructure versus direct production, Tyler said, resuming cutting the rather tough sirloin. It's been a juggling act the whole time I've been doing this. I mean, face it, we've been at war with the Horvath since before I sold the first load of syrup. Figuring out how much direct war material to produce versus infrastructure has been the juggling act. Fortunately, we've figured out how to make the VLA mirrors out of material for which we don't have much direct use. The rest is tougher. Build fabbers or ships? If we build the fabbers now, we can build more ships later. We need ships now. We need mirrors now. Tugs or frigates? Tugs or launches? Granatica can produce one of the Myrmidons a day. It takes two days to produce a paw-style tug. The tugs have an infinite variety of uses. Myrmidons have utility, but they're more focused. Speaking of which, Captain Denote? Sir? The boat's commander said, looking up. The Myrmidons can operate rather well as tugs, Tyler said. They only have about 30% of the operational power, but they have magnetic grapnels, which are, face it, the same tractor system as a tug, just less powerful. You're probably going to get some requests for assistance in, well, construction, if you will. Doesn't bother me, the captain said, nodding. It will give my people some operating experience. If it's work on the Troy, the admiral said, looking pensive, I could see doing that. Direct commercial work. I understand the problem, Tyler said, smiling. The flip side is that we'll be paying you guys for the time. So your people get boat handling experience and the training time gets paid for by my company. And we then triple bill the U.S. government for it. That is, the admiral said, looking thoughtful. Reality, Tyler said, chuckling. And we get taxed on any profit we happen to make, which then goes to pay for the triple billing on the shuttles we're borrowing from the government in the first place. My head hurts, Captain Sharp said. Hey, Tyler said. I'm not charging you for laser time. Be happy. There's a charge for laser time, Commodore Marchant said. Mm-hmm, Tyler said, his mouth full. He cleared it with a sip of wine and wiped his mouth again. About a penny a megajoule last time I checked. That's for purely internal charging, mind you. The Sapple is owned by a separate corporation from Apollo, but they're both subsidiaries of LFD. So we have an internal charge rate. Sapple upgrades and maintenance, even R&D and overhead, and there's an amazing amount of overhead get paid by charging for laser time. For external charging, cutting plates for the constitutions and independence, for example, 
the rate is about triple. That's standard. It covers overhead and secondary charges as well as a slight profit. I know about it, but I don't really get involved unless there's a dispute about charges between the different corporations. That's the sort of thing I, alas, spend too much time having to manage. It's like any other for-profit business. You have to find the price point that will let you make the most money. Charge too much and BAE or Raytheon either tries to get into competition or figures out ways not to use our service. Charge too little and the Sapple Corporation eventually goes out of business and you guys will have to buy it and run it. I'd rather prefer someone else was in competition at some levels. I'd like to see what other corporations would do with the same basic concept. And there are the usual mutterings in Congress about a monopoly. Fortunately, we're not incorporated in the U.S., so they can't technically force me to break up the Sapple or Apollo or any of the other places I'm in a monopoly position. You're not incorporated in the U.S.? Captain Sharp said, blinking rapidly. Nope, Tyler said. LFD is. Apollo, the Sapple, Wolf, and all the rest are all incorporated in Tonga. We paid taxes as if we were an American corporation because most of the ground-side facilities are in the U.S., and corporate charges in Tonga that aren't chump change. But by being officially based in Tonga, I avoid all sorts of hassles. No EPA telling me I can't melt asteroids because it changes the space environment. You're joking, Captain Sharp said. Tell me you're joking. There is... Tyler paused and shrugged, was a very active space environment movement. Humans have already raped the Earth. They shouldn't be allowed to rape space as well. I had to deal with them somewhat when I first started mining. Their tendency to concentrate in certain geographic localities means that the core of the movement is somewhat reduced. Yeah the tactical officer said. Like the joke about the Horvath targeting. Excuse me? Tyler said. Um, the TACO said, looking uncomfortable. Never mind. The joke about Horvath targeting methods is that they only ever read one thing written by a human, the admiral said since the silence had gotten uncomfortable. Shakespeare's admonition that the first thing we do is kill all the lawyers. <sighs> Tyler said, trying not to laugh. He'd noticed one time the statistic that the occupation most reduced percentage-wise by the Horvath attacks wasn't police or firefighters or even secretaries, but members of the American Bar Association. I guess that's one of those forewords I deleted, but... Ooh, that's cold. He still couldn't help but chuckle. I guess you're not generally dialed in on such things, Admiral Kenyon said, shrugging. But when the shock of the bombings and the plague finally wore off, it was laugh or cry until the rivers were tears. I guess the height was about two years ago. I remember because I was commanding the Clinton CVBG and my chief of staff was addicted to the things. I suspect that could have been taken badly by some of the other officers, Tyler said, especially those who lost people in Diego. His wife and three children were more or less dead center of the impact, the admiral said. So nobody said anything about it. 
but every morning briefing he'd trot out the new list. And then just before we made port in Perth, he ate his forty-five, which is why I know a lot of bad jokes about the bombings and plagues and tend not to tell them. Yes, sir, Captain Sharp said. Sorry, sir. Not a problem, Captain, the Admiral said. The term is faux pas. One of the purposes of social events like this is to find out each other's hot buttons. Also, to talk shop, because no matter how many meetings you have, all the information people need doesn't get passed around. Thank you for that explanation, Admiral, Colonel Bolger said. The Marine Colonel was picking through the remnants of his lobster and didn't really look up. I'd always wondered... Since I was a J.O., I just sort of assumed it was so you'd feel like a whore in church from time to time. Tyler spit out a glass of wine, half of which went up his nose. But it wasn't really noticed as most of the group broke into relieved laughter. Are you quite well, Mr. Vernon? Admiral Kenyon said, trying and failing to keep a straight face. Fine, Tyler gasped. A little endive went down the wrong tube. He coughed and cleared the last of the wine, then shook his head. <clears throat> but on the subject of talk and shop, uh, damn, I'm not sure if this is the right venue. It's about intel. As Captain Sharp pointed out, most of us have appropriate clearances, the Admiral said, shrugging. And Troy is, to say the least, a fairly secure environment. I passed on some intelligence to, um... Higher? Tyler said. I'm just not sure if it got to you guys, even though you're the main group that should have it. About? Captain Sharp asked. Uh, Tyler said. Some ship traces in the Iridani system. I wondered where that tidbit came from, the Admiral said, taking a sip of wine. Yes, we got it. I'll just add that there is some... He paused, and his head came up as if he was listening to something. The conversation slowly died away as, one by one, the officers all lifted their heads and looked off into the distance. Tyler recognized the attitude. It was someone unused to plants, getting a... Mr. Vernon, Argus said. The Glatun free trader Parton Crossing just came through the gate on an unscheduled run. There is a Horvath fleet in the E-Epsilon system. How many? Tyler calmed, still picking at his lobster. Thirty Devastator-class Rangora battleships, Argus said. Nine Ikuka battle cruisers and seven Odika frigates. Mr. Vernon, the Admiral said, setting down his fork and standing up. A situation has arisen. Which is difficult. Tyler said, taking a sip of wine. We still can't close the door and use the sapple internally. We haven't even started the bypass systems, so you have to decide whether to use it internally and thus possibly protect the primary systems or close the door and protect the soft materials in the bay. We're closing the door, the Admiral said, and with that we need to get to work. So do I, Tyler said since you can't close it without my tugs. And even then, it takes some time. I need six, though. Very well, the Admiral said. Whatever you feel you need. 
And you'll want to assign Captain Denotes people to assist, Tyler said. I've already sent the order to scramble the tugs to the plug. My people are moving, Denotes said. And so must I, Tyler said. That was another installment in John Ringo's Live Free or Die. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks as always to audible.com and podcast theme composer Ruth Judkowitz. Thank you to Josh Hayes and praise, thanks, and gratitude to David Weber, Timothy Zahn, and Thomas Pope for talking with us today. And good night, Tony Daniel, wherever you are. This is David Afshirod coming to you from a soundproof bunker somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. Join us here next week at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy and keep reaching for the stars. <laughs>